You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We're going to be here this afternoon as well. We're dedicating little ones with 19 families. That's going to be a noisy service, I can tell you. We're expecting about 250 guests here, family members, friends. Uh, So we're looking forward to that. I also want to let you know, at the end of a week where there have been distressing reports and images in the media, not just from... Uh, Turkey and Syria, but also some things in the UK, that tomorrow we're gathering again with the Racial Justice Committee and with some of our youth and young adults so that we can listen to them and hear their perspectives and views. So please do just continue to keep this matter in prayer as we seek to play our part in bringing this aspect of the kingdom to come here in Coventry and in the UK where it is so needed. Well, we turn to the word this morning. And if you want a title for the message this morning, it's Hear It, Use it, hear it, use it. Or for those who like a stronger, less gentle title, it's blocked ears and ornamental swords. And that will make sense perhaps as we go on. I so enjoyed uh, Tracy's word last week, her encouragement to each one of us to keep growing, leaning into God's divine power to enable us to do this through whatever season of life we might find ourselves in, knowing that we can keep on growing. And that this is the heart of the call to maturity, and knowing that we can't shortcut that process. I, I have heard more than one person this week who was inspired to bake a cake last Sunday. Uh, anyone here was inspired to bake a cake by Tracy? Oh yeah, thank you, I see that hand, that's good. That was good, much, much fruit from Tracy's message last week. Well, this morning as we come to the Word, in a few moments we're going to turn to Isaiah 55 uh, as we're exploring further what it means for us to pursue maturity and multiplication, which is what we believe the Lord is leading us into in this season as a church. Of course, multiplication, it's quite plain and simple to understand what that means, but maturity... Being mature, this is much, much harder to define. Even naturally speaking, it can be a bit difficult to pin down. When is a person mature? There's much political and legal debate around this. You'll have heard some of that yourselves. And to help us put a little bit of color onto this this morning, I want to share with you some signs of maturity that were submitted to a discussion thread on a US website. You can let me know what you think of these. We don't have to agree with them all. Uh, These were some suggestions. Sign of maturity is booking your own dentist appointment. Yeah. Paying for your own Netflix. There's some people going, yeah, that will be good when my offspring do that. Sign of maturity, when someone tells you things you already know and you don't have to say, I know that already. Yeah, we're working on these, we're working on them. Uh, Sign of maturity, when you feel guilty for your parents giving you money. There's some of us in the room are going, is that a thing? You feel guilty about that? No, apparently that's what someone suggested. Letting someone win an argument so you can move on. We're working on that one. Sign of maturity, when you realize how amazing naps really are. Can we have a show of hands, anyone realize how amazing naps really are? If that's maturity, there's a few of us here. Uh, Being able to admit when your worst enemy has a good idea. It's when you act and think the same, whether you're alone or with others. Oh, it's going a bit deep now, isn't it? When someone hurts you and you try to understand them. When you've purchased a ladder, 
when you don't refuse a sandwich because it was made using the crust of the loaf. Not venting on social media about personal affairs. Ooh, here's an important one. Checking your eggs at the supermarket. I told my daughter this last night, she said, I've been doing that since I was eight. There we are, claim of maturity there. When you find genuine joy in seeing your washing on the line in the sunshine. Yeah, I thought that would, you know, the, the day's coming. Spring is coming, friends. The days of trying to dry washing in a cold house are numbered. This is good. Okay, a few more signs of maturity. When you stop testing boundaries and start navigating them. Ooh, we may need time to think about that one. That's a bit deep. Appreciating the taste of prunes. I've not reached that one yet. I don't know about anyone else. Uh, when you answer emails just as quickly as you do texts. There was a comment under that one. It's like, that is never going to happen. <laughs> so, fair enough. Okay, okay. A few more signs of maturity. Accepting that you were wrong in public. Ouch. Truth is, for most of us, just accepting we're wrong, we're still working on, yeah? Not contacting your ex after a breakup. Ooh, well, just keep moving on. And not referring to people who don't like you as haters. Not expecting people to read your mind. Here's one. When you fall asleep in the car and your parents don't carry you to bed. Now, I understand this is a hard blow for anyone growing up, but really, as a sign of maturity, that's a very low bar. <clears throat> one final one for parents across the room. Sign of maturity, bringing a coat. Yes, it's not hard, but it does require maturity. Now, I get some of these may resonate with us when we come and we're talking spiritually about maturity and what we find in Scripture. But this isn't exactly what we mean when we're talking about maturity. The dictionary definition, it says of maturity, it's the state of being mature, very helpful. And then it says ripeness, full development, perfected condition. And it describes mature as being complete in natural growth or development, fully developed in body and mind, pertaining to or characteristic of full development. Now, of course, as disciples of Jesus, none of us is yet fully mature. We're not a finished work. It's, all, it's ongoing for all of us. But perhaps this dictionary definition helps us, particularly by giving us the picture of fruit that is mature and that is ripe, because what it helps us to see is there's maturity when the seeds are there in the fruit, and the fruit is ripe and ready for it, not just to be mature, but to multiply. The two things are linked. Maturity and multiplication, they don't sit separate to one another. They're intrinsically, intrinsically linked, for it's the maturity, it's the ripeness that makes multiplication both a possibility and a desirable outcome. You know, we're doing some work prayerfully, and we'll be talking with the elders this week, about what multiplication might need to look like for us as a community of believers. But as we come to Scripture today, I'm inviting us to focus on us as individual people followers and disciples of Jesus, and think, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for me to be mature? What does it mean for me to be ready to multiply? And how can I pursue it? Now, there are quite a number of New Testament scriptures that refer to this work of maturing that needs to go on in each one of us. James mentions it when he's referencing the need for perseverance to do a work in us for us to be mature and complete. Paul makes reference to this in his letters to the Colossians, to the Corinthians. Jesus himself says in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48, says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's the same word being used here in the New Testament to mean perfect, complete, mature. 
The New Testament Greek is a word teleo. Jesus' use of it here saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's helping us understand maturity is growing in likeness to our heavenly Father. It's growing to become more like Jesus. And when we hear that that is the standard, I guess it can seem a little unattainable. But the writer to the Hebrews gives us some further insight into how we can go about this, how we can pursue it, how we can take some steps. When he's speaking to them in Hebrews chapter 5 about their engagement with the Word of God, he says this, he begins verse 12, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Then verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But, verse 14, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So according to the writer to Hebrews, what marks out the mature is that by constant use of God's word, they have trained themselves, and they can now distinguish good from evil. And this word constant use, hexin is the New Testament Greek, it, it denotes a habit, a practice, a doing something active with something. This is not just about knowing the word, it's not about getting it in our heads, but the mature have the word and they use it regularly. So what this leads us to ask is how do we use the word? What is this habit? What is the practice? What are we meant to be doing with it to make us mature? And this is where we're going to come to Isaiah 55 because it's a chapter that speaks about God's word. The words that were spoken to Israel in a season of judgment and exile in Babylon. But it was a word that spoke a promise of comfort and restoration that centered around the word of God. So let's go there. Let's read these verses. Isaiah 55, it says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
You will go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. <clears throat> this is the word coming to a people who'd faced God's judgment. He'd allowed them to be exiled from their homeland because they disregarded him, because they dishonored his name, because they'd persistently been rebellious and disobedient to his word. They deserved to be exiled. There was no mistaking that fact. And yet God speaks to them a word of comfort, a word of welcome and of restoration. I would say it begins with come, but actually there's something that we miss in the NIV here that if you read in the King James, it's a little different because there's a word that used to be used in English and isn't anymore, so the NIV just left it out. But the King James Version begins, it says, ho, ho, which means behold, attention, listen up. It's not just come, it begins with something more than that. The message version puts it like this, hey there, listen. It's trying to get the attention. The truth is that the Lord is speaking to those who are not already tuned in. He's not speaking quietly to those who are already giving their attention. He's trying to get the attention of those whose ears have been blocked, who have not been listening, who have been unable to hear for some reason. He says, hey there, listen up everyone. This is for everybody. He's not speaking to the one who's tuned in, the one who's been carefully listening or trying to get mature. He's speaking to the one who's tuned out, the one who's got their AirPods in, the one who's on with something else. Listen up, everyone. And there's a focus here, not just on the one who hasn't been listening, but on the one who has nothing. He says this, come, you who have no money. This is for those who have nothing, no capital, nothing to offer. He says, come. And the invitation is to come and to listen, to come and to hear. There is an invitation to come to receive something from the Word of God. He says, listen and listen to me and eat what is good. He said, I'll give, I'll give you delight. You'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen and you will live. Listen and you will live. This connects things that perhaps in our world we don't connect in the same way. But these verses are helping us to understand something critical about the Word of God that I hope is going to take us from beyond approaching the Word as something that we need to be disciplined about engaging with so it matures us to something that we want to engage with, that we delight to come to. Listen and eat what is good. Delight in the richest affair. Give ear and listen that you might live. Anyone in the room wants to live, like really live. See, these are the words that God is speaking. And the words that God speaks, they are life. God's words are life. They carry life in them. They are receptacles. They are carrying it. God's words are life. He says, listen that you may live. God's words are life. So listen to them. I think that first point is going to come up. God's words are life. Listen to them. This is not a new idea. Those of you who know the scripture, you know right back, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Famous verse, really, where we get explained why God gave manna in the desert, not just to give them food, but it was to humble them and to teach them that you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
there's life in him when he speaks and we need it. Jesus, he said, John 6, 64, he said, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Well, they're full of spirit and full of life. God's words are pregnant with the spirit. They are pregnant with life. They are carrying it. They are ready to pour it out into your life, to bring something, to birth something. God's words are life. These are no ordinary words, friends. There is life available in them for us to connect with, for us to be impacted by, to be filled by, satisfied by, as we engage with them, as we come, as we listen, as we give ear. That's why the title this morning is Hear It, Use It. Hear it. Friends, we need the Word of God. We need to hear it, we need to listen to it, we need to give ear to it, because this is the key way in which God puts his life into our lives. It's the key way that his divine power comes into our spirits, into our souls, so we can be truly alive in him. And he comes to meet the deep needs of our souls, the deep needs of our spirits. When we have nothing, when we can come empty, when we are needy, when we are struggling, when we are desperate, this is the time. You know, much of what we might call sin, much of what gets in the way of us maturing is probably because we are trying to be filled or satisfied or delight in something else of our own creation or our own desire. It's sometimes because we are trying to satiate the appetites and the anxieties of our flesh our own way instead of coming to the word of God and his provision for us. This is the habit, the constant use of the word that will begin to make us mature. It begins with giving ear, listening, hearing, turning to it so it can speak and minister God's power, his filling, his redemption into the deep places, the empty places, the hungry and the thirsty places of our souls. Friends, if we wanna be mature, we must come first. Come with our hunger, come with our thirst, come with our empty hands, and let his word be the source of life that fills us. God's words are life, we must listen to them. I don't know how you start your day. I know it's so easy to start your day with your phone, yeah? Catch up on a few messages from friends, family, check in on the news, but you know what happens when I give ear to those things, they don't give me life. Maybe your friends and family are more life-giving in their messages, but that's not how it is for me. Every morning, most mornings, this is the truth actually, I don't always hit it, but every morning, I seek to start the day in the presence of God. I seek to start the day in the Word of God because I need life. I need life. I don't have another source for it. Each day I come and I talk to the Lord, I, I still my heart so I can sense his presence before I read. And often I pray and I say, Lord, let your words be spirit and life to me today. As I read this word, let something be imparted to me because I need your life. Release your life to me again through your word. There's a particular verse that I often use to help me to engage with the life of God. And if you're here regularly, you're probably getting bored of me talking about the verse in Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses that I pray so often. Just satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love because I come hungry and I come thirsty and I need the love and the life of God to meet me there. And as I come and give ear 
to his word, as I hear it, as I use it in prayer back to him, then you know what happens, the life of God begins to connect with my spirit and the love of God begins to fill my heart. This is the habit with his word that brings life into my life. And sure, as I read the word, I learn some things. Yes, I understand some things more about God. But primarily, this starting point is about hearing. It's about listening. It's about coming and receiving life. This is the basis of becoming mature through the constant use of the Word of God. And the good news here is that everyone is invited. Yep, that was a series. We finished the series, but we're not finished on the theme. Everyone is invited. He says, let the wicked forsake their ways. Let the unrighteous their thoughts. Turn to the Lord. He'll have mercy. He'll pardon freely. This is such a good deal. Friends, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever state you're in, come. Everyone, come. Come with nothing. Come as you are and receive life. You will not find a better deal than what is being offered here in these words. And we come to listen and to hear because we know that life is in his words. It changes us. Life that has power to move us on from the wicked ways we've got caught in, the unrighteous stuff that we can't seem to move on from. His words of life that offer mercy, pardon, forgiveness for us. You know, as Simon Peter himself said to Jesus, when Jesus said, do you guys want to leave? He said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, life is in his words. And as we listen, we receive life. This is the first thing I want us to take from Isaiah 55. God's words are life, so we need to listen to them. Verse 8, if we just turn back to Isaiah 55, verse 8, he continues, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, the truth is that unless we know somebody really, really well, the only way we really know what they're thinking is by what they say. And as we all probably know, if we try and make assumptions, it normally ends badly. The truth is that someone's words reveal their thoughts. So how can we know what God is thinking? How can we know what he thinks is true and right? How can we know what he thinks about what is going on in the world? We may think... We may assume that God thinks a lot like us, but God says these words very clearly through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. In fact, he says they're not even close, not even close. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's a big distance, high as the heavens are above the earth. The highest I've ever been is an aeroplane at altitude, but you know how different the view is if you're flying over somewhere in a plane at altitude if you were standing on the ground. Completely different, yeah? Completely different perspective. And I think the heavens are even higher than that. The truth is these are different, way different. And what happens, what we find is when we start tuning in to the Word of God is that everything he says, the things that he thinks, don't always line up perfectly with the things that I think. There are some differences between how I view things and think about things, and then what I hear, what I listen to in God's word. And here's the thing. It's God's words that are true. 
It's his words that are right. I'm not afraid to have a strong opinion as those around my life know, but this is the thing, it doesn't matter what my opinion is when I've come to the word, if it doesn't line up, then it's not mine that's right. It's his that is right. I am the one that needs to change. I am the one that needs to be transformed in my thinking. God's words are true. Second point coming up on the screen, God's words are true and I need to be shaped by them. I need to be corrected by them. And I can be shaped by them because there's truth in it and it transforms and it sets free if I will allow his words to shape me. If I will welcome them and not refuse them. This means being willing to question what I think or question what I thought before and be willing to be corrected. It means acknowledging that I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that doesn't understand fully because his words are true. This habit, this practice of constantly using God's word as is being spoken of by the writer to the Hebrews, includes this work of being shaped by the word of God, being corrected, being trained. This is the constant use of the word, it's just allowing it to mold us, change us bit by bit, allowing our thoughts, our understanding, our views to be corrected by the truth of God's word, allowing it to be shaped, changed, transformed as, as we let go of thoughts, as we let go of patterns of thinking that we find actually are not rooted in the truth of what God says, but actually in lies, in patterns of thinking that belong to this world and its thinking. The Apostle Paul, some more familiar words perhaps to you. He wrote in Romans 12 verse two, writing to the church in Rome, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We come across this word again, this complete, mature, perfect will. There's something of our attaining to this maturity that is wound up in the transformation that comes by the renewing of our mind, getting rid of the lies, getting rid of the rubbish from our culture and the setting around us and the stuff that that has sown into us and instead renewing our minds with truth the truth of God's words that express his thoughts that are different to ours. And we can only do that, friends, as we engage with the truth of God's words. If we try to second guess him, if we try to think what he might think, we are likely to be way off, as high as the heavens are above the earth, way off. So we need his word and his truth. God's words are truth, we need to be shaped by them. All of us need this to shape how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, how we understand the world, how we view what's happening in society, who we value, what we value. For most of us, this work of maturity is ongoing. We may have begun, but there's more to do. His thoughts on are not yet fully our thoughts. When I was young, my thoughts were that much of the world was very easy to understand. It was clear, it was obvious, things were black and white, you could make a call. But as I've got older, as I've listened more to God's word and to other people, as I've sought to know his thoughts, I've found there is much that needs to be corrected in me, much that needs to be instructed, much that needs to be clarified, changed, nuanced. I need to be shaped by God's word. 
It begins with listening, giving ear. And when something doesn't quite line up, then it's deciding to change and thinking, change what I think and choose the truth of God's word instead of what I had thought. I had to learn to do this beginning early in my 20s. My thoughts about myself were negative, critical, judgmental. They weren't based in truth. They weren't life-giving. They didn't line up with the truth of God's word and what he said about me, and it impacted me profoundly. Because his word says some things about me that he also says about you, that I'm chosen, that you're chosen, that you're loved, redeemed, gifted, and graced to play a part in the body. His word says that we are loved with an everlasting love and drawn with loving kindness, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he's made every part of the body just as he wanted them to be. I needed to be shaped by that truth because it was so different to what went on in my thinking. I had to stop giving lies and useless thoughts airtime in my head, and I needed to use the truth of the word of God to correct my own thinking, sometimes needing to speak it out aloud, to cut across patterns of thought that seemed so ingrained in me, they seemed a part of me. But friends, God's words are true, and we must be shaped by them and hear them and use them. Of course, recently we've been in the book of Ephesians, and when you get to the end, uh, to chapter six, we hear about the sword of the spirit in the armor. It's the only offensive piece of armory, but the word that gets translated as sword it's machaira. It's a short sword. It's like a long knife. It's not like a big military sword. And the Roman soldier used to use this not on an opponent normally. He used to use this on himself. If he got wounded, if an enemy arrow pierced his skin and got lodged, then this short sword would be used to remove it so it didn't become infected and so he didn't die. It allowed them to heal and to live. Friends, we need God's word to do the same in us. We need to learn how to use it, to not have it as some ornamental sword that sits on the table or maybe is even on the front of our fridge, but we never take hold of it and use it and let it bring life in us or shape us or correct us or heal us. For that is what God's correction always does. God's words are true. Be shaped by them. If we return, Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Friends, God's words are life, so we listen to them. His words are true, so we must be shaped by them. But also, God's words are power, and we can use them. We can use them. Friend, God's words don't return to him empty without doing what they were sent to do. They bring growth. They bring multiplication. They change the earth. They bring forth a harvest. That's what these words are saying. They accomplish what they're sent for. God's words are in some ways fundamentally different to ours because his words are power. It's not just that God speaks and God is powerful. His words are power. And this is different. You know, if you're in your household and you say, I am going to do the washing up, then something happens where actually the words and the action are separate, yeah? And maybe it's the same in your house that the words and the actions don't always line up, yeah? Someone goes to find their headphones or needs the toilet and never returns. 
I'm sure that's just in our house. I'm sure everyone does exactly what they say in your house. But friends, God's words are different to that. There is not something that God speaks and then a moment where he chooses whether to outwork it or not because God's words are power. He cannot utter a word and have the words come back to him without doing the thing that he spoke because as soon as he speaks, there's power in the words and they begin to outwork the thing that he has spoken. It's why it says in Genesis, God said, let there be light and there was, there wasn't a wait, there wasn't uh, a, a period of seeing what would happen. It goes through the whole of creation. God said this, God said that, and it was so, it says each time. It's why the psalmist says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He speaks, the psalmist says, and things come into being. He commands and they stand firm. There's power in his word. It's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 4, 17, describing God, he said, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. It's because when he speaks, it comes alive. The words have power in them. This is why we can be confident that if God has begun something, he will finish it. Not just because it says in Philippians 1.6 that he will do that, encouraging as that verse is. But you've got to understand that if God has spoken the word to start something, the word is out there. It's going to finish it. He can't pull it back halfway. The word has been spoken and the word has power. If you're sitting here this morning wondering, will that come to fruition? Will that be completed? I can tell you the answer. If he started it, he's going to finish it. Because if he started it, he's spoken the word. And the word will complete it because there's power in God's word. What does this mean for us as we grow to maturity? Friends, it means that there's power in his words, for us to learn, to release, to pray it, to speak it, to use it, to not just let it be something that changes us, but that we then learn to use to bring his kingdom. It's why in prayer times, we seek to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's saying, to scriptures that might be rising, because actually, this might be the very word that will have power to change in this particular situation the words that will call things into being that are not. You know, when we pray, when we speak out the word of God and declare it, it changes things in the heavenly places. It changes things in the unseen world because we're releasing words that have power in them. Now, sometimes we're going to hear God clearly. We're going to speak something that we hear him saying. And as we speak it, it unlocks life and breakthrough for someone else or for something because it changes something in the heavenlies. You know, there's a frequency, a sound that brings a movement and a shift. It doesn't mean, you know, sometimes we think somebody needs to hear the word and we need to preach it to them. And, and yes, we do need to share Jesus with people, but there's another side of this that sometimes a breakthrough can happen that doesn't need the person to be in the room. It just needs the word to be spoken and the thing to shift in the heavenly places. You know, when we're praying in 21 days of prayer in Inspire upstairs, there's, uh, you'll see in some of the doors around this building, there's door stops that are kind of attached to the door and they wedge the doors open. And when we, we had, the room was full, so we had the doors open just to allow some air to flow. And there were a couple of points in the evening where all of a sudden, both doorstops at exactly the same time released the door and the door closed. 
And the reason they did it was because of the frequency of sound in the room, of our praise and of our worship. Now the truth is that the doorstops, they are made to respond to a siren, a certain frequency that will cause them to stop blocking the door and allow it to move. And something happened as we were singing and worshiping where we hit a frequency, a sound that brought a change and made the door blocks move. And why am I explaining this is because I think we need to understand that when the word of God is sung or spoken or declared, it releases a sound. It releases a frequency. I believe everything under heaven is wired to respond to this frequency. It was made by the one who uh, uses this frequency. It was spoken into being by him and it is waiting to be brought alive by the sound of his voice. If I can invite the band to come and join me. You know, Romans 8 tells us that creation groans in its fallen state, waiting for its redemption, its restoration. If you like, it's listening for the frequency. It's waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be restored. In 21 days of prayer, amongst other things I've been praying for, someone specifically, someone in my wider family who has brought up and taught some things about Jesus, probably taught to memorize some scriptures, made some steps of personal commitment, but the truth is that right now they're very, very lost to that. They've been through a load of stuff, and like many of the people around many of our lives, it's, it's not easy. And I've been praying for them, because I know that some of the word of God that is already in them, there's things that they've said, there's things they've proclaimed, there's things they've committed to, and I've just been praying for them these verses from Isaiah 55, bringing the word and saying, Lord, this is what you say about your word, that it can't come to you void. There's power in it. So I've been speaking to the word to come alive, to let it come alive. I've been speaking to the dormant seeds that have been uh, sown into her life in different seasons for them to come alive because it's all it takes is the word of God to begin to be heard for the frequency to begin to change and make no mistake there are other things in the heavenly realms that have a different purpose and a plan so I'm going to make sure I'm speaking the word into the heavenly realms over her life and it was interesting because last week that person got in touch there's someone who doesn't normally come over to our house unless wider family are coming and she said, could I come over? Could I come and stay? And so she came yesterday, in fact. We talked a lot about various things. She's processing a lot. She's grappling with a lot. We didn't talk directly about Jesus because I don't think she's ready for that just yet. But this I know that as I keep speaking, as I keep praying, as I keep speaking to the Word, as I keep bringing the Word of God over her life, I know there's power in the Word. I know there's power in the Word, and I believe that Jesus has begun something of bringing her back to Himself and to life. It isn't visible yet, but I know that God's power, and I'm going to keep God's words are power, and I'm going to keep using them. This is the case for any situation around our lives. Let's keep bringing the Word of God. Keep using it. Friends, God's words are life, and we must listen to them. His words are true, and we must be shaped for them. And God's words our power. Use them. Use them. You know, maturity and multiplication will come through our constant 
use, our habit and our practice with these life-giving, life-carrying words that we have the privilege of having in full measure here in the UK. I know there's a battle for us to engage with it. I know most of us feel we should read it more and all of that stuff. I'm just going to invite us this morning as I finish simply to respond to this invitation to come. To come hungry, to come thirsty, to come without money, and to say, God, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to put a hunger for this word in my soul. Because you know, it's him who always begins the good stuff in us. And if we're going to have a desire for his word, it'll be because he moves by his spirit. But sometimes we need to ask. To say, Lord, would you bring forth maturity in me, a multiplication through me that will honor your name as I engage with your word. And if this is your prayer today, I'm just gonna invite you to stand to your feet as I pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who have fought for us to have it freely available to us, even in our city. We remember, Father, the blood of those who died for it. And we thank you that we have it fully and freely available to us. And we come and we say sorry, Father, where we are apathetic about it, where we don't engage with it, but we come and we say afresh, Lord, we respond to you. We come this morning hungry as we are, thirsty as we are, without anything much to offer. But we say, Lord, would you help us? Please, Holy Spirit, would you give us a hunger afresh for your word? Your word that is life, that we would give ear to it. Your words that are true and we would allow you to shape us with it. And Lord, your word that is power for us to use. And we pray that you would keep growing us in knowing your word, in using your word, in hearing it, in being those who can wield it and bring the life and power through it that is there. Help us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.